We thank You for Your Word, which is an amazing thing that it even exists. That God would speak in a way that would be comprehensible to human beings in an infallible way in black and white. That we could learn and grow and be convicted and changed by your Holy Spirit's power to look like Jesus because of words that you have caused to be written. Father, we, we pray that we would indeed be changed today as we are confronted by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, according to a recent report by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the global value of counterfeit goods now stands at $1.7 trillion, which is approximately 2% of world economic output. Uh, The overwhelming majority of the counterfeit goods market used to be in high-end luxury goods, you know, Gucci purses and Hermes ties and iPhones and that kind of thing. But uh, of uh, recent, there has been a change in the counterfeit goods market, and now it is things like pesticides and pharmaceuticals and other kinds of chemicals. Um, the dangers of those things are a lot higher. You know, if you buy a knockoff Gucci purse, you, know, you probably save, um, you know, $800 over the cost of the real thing, right? And not too many people get too exercised over that idea. Or, you know, when I um, made a trip to D.C. when I was a kid, you could buy Rolex watches outside of the Washington Monument for 10 bucks, right? <laughs> Uh, at least they said Rolex on the face. Uh, they didn't keep time like a Rolex. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, they said Rolex, right? Um, and not too many people get too upset about that. But imagine this. Imagine you were one of the 500,000 people worldwide who died of malaria last year. Malaria is a completely curable disease if you get real medication. But upwards of 50% of the anti-malarial medication available in Africa and Southeast Asia is fake and therefore completely ineffective against treating malaria. Imagine that you are sick and that you uh, know that if you get the medicine that you will live and you're faithfully taking your medicine and you're not getting any better. Imagine not just how betrayed you would feel, but how your family would feel knowing that you got a fancy-looking sugar pill instead of the real McCoy, and you are dying as a result. Uh, in the same way, the passage we're looking at to get today, uh, t- together today, Jesus is warning against counterfeiters against people who cost other people their eternal life because they are hawking something which looks like the gospel, which sounds good, which uh, offers people eternal life, but is nevertheless the equivalent of a high-end sugar pill. And he wants us to be able to distinguish 
people who are offering you the authentic thing and people who are offering you a completely ineffective counterfeit instead. He wants us to be able to distinguish the fake from the real, the faux from the genuine. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to begin in verse 15 and uh, look at a couple sections of this here today. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, here in these verses, Jesus gives us one infallible guideline for separating a false teacher from the real McCoy. And this is how I would summarize it. Uh, The fruit produced reveals the root possessed. Okay, that may have gone by fast, so let me say that again. The fruit produced reveals the root possessed. In other words, whatever a person is will be whatever their life produces. You're not going to produce something as a result which is different than what you are. And so whatever comes out is an indicator of what's on the inside. Uh, You can't pick grapes from thorn bushes. Why not? Because grapes grow on grapevines. They don't grow on thorn bushes. You can't pick figs from thistles, although wouldn't that be cool? You know, if if, if if you have a pasture, sooner or later you're going to get that Canadian bull thistle growing in there, right? So wouldn't it be nice if you actually could pick something useful from that other than just something that you have to dig up or spray with Roundup or otherwise try to exterminate, burn, you know, get rid of in whatever way you can? I mean, you know, homemade napalm or whatever, you know, it takes to get rid of those things, right? You've got to come up with some way of getting rid of this thing because it's absolutely useless. And it doesn't produce anything valuable except thorns and stickers, And the fruit of somebody's life reveals what kind of plant they are. Uh, Trees that are healthy and full of life produce good crops of enjoyable fruit. This year is a year we get peaches at our house. We have two peach trees. We have one that only made a few. But we've got one that's got a bunch. I'm looking forward to the day when those... I mean, they're already about that big. I'm like, yes. Bye. August or September, when they get really ripe and soft and juicy, we're going to have peach pie, right? I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a great day. And they're healthy trees. They've got leaves everywhere. They're growing like crazy. And they produce good, luscious, juicy fruit, right? Give that juice run down your chin. Oh, man, it's, it's fantastic, right? Now, if, on the other hand, you've got a bad tree... You've got a diseased tree. What does it produce? Sickly, nasty, gross fruit, right? Um, And in fact, rotten fruit, if you eat it, can make you sick. In fact, 
Certain kinds of rotten fruit you can die from. Okay? I have eaten durians. I can tell you that whatever that tree is, it does not produce anything good. Right? When you bust it open and it smells like exhumed body, and you go, this is what you guys eat? And they go, yeah, this is a good one. You go, "Mm, no, I don't think so. I think you guys have eaten it after it went bad. (laughs) Right? Um, It is unbelievable, right? It's a bad tree and it produces bad fruit. Let me tell you. If you ever seen that show, Man vs. Food, that is the one thing on this planet that that guy will not eat. Durian fruit. Okay, but I have eaten it. And it's as disgusting as you imagine. Right? Uh, but it's a bad tree and it produces, good, it produces bad fruit. Uh, diseased trees sicken and even kill people with the fruit that they produce. And so how do you tell if someone is a false teacher? You watch what his or her life produces. Because by someone's actions, by the life that they live, you can tell whether or not they authentically know Jesus. You might not be able to tell immediately because lots of people can talk a good talk and represent themselves as a genuine follower of Jesus. But if you watch over the long term, the truth about somebody's life has a way of coming out. Amen? Let me give you an example. When I was a young child, uh, the church we were part of was part of a larger movement of churches that was kind of spread across the country. They were all uh, planted by the disciples of this one man based out of Texas. And one of the things this fellow taught was a false doctrine called the doctrine of privacy. Okay? It sounds really good. Okay? Because basically the idea of the doctrine of privacy was that you weren't to intrude in someone else's spiritual life. You weren't to stick your nose in somebody else's business. Okay? So if somebody was uh, in sin, well, that was between them and God, and you need to, you need to stay out of it. Right? Now, let me tell you why that's unbiblical, right? Because over and over and over and over again, it says in Scripture, you know, uh, if my brothers, if one of you is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. It says, expel the immoral brother, 1 Corinthians 5. It says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed, James 5.16, Right? Uh, there's all kinds of things in Scripture that are antithetical to that idea, but this, is the, this was the idea that he taught, that if somebody was in sin, that you didn't put your nose in that, that was between them and God. If your spouse committed adultery, well, as long as they confessed it, then that was between them and God, and no further consequences or, or problems needed to fall as a result of that. Now, let me tell you what kind of fruit that bore in the churches that bought into that, okay? My childhood pastor had to be dismissed from our church because he was approaching all of the married women in our church for the initiation of a relationship. And we say this is a problem. Yes, that's a problem, okay? Okay. one of one of the one of the young ladies that grew up in another church, she's actually married to my childhood best friend, 
her church went totally nuts with this. And everybody's, you know, their sin is between them and God, and none of the rest of us need to say anything about it. So the elders of that church would have elders retreats with their wives in Las Vegas. And the men would go to certain kinds of clubs, and the women would go off to the casinos and get drunk and gamble. Um, and this is all just between them and God, and so we don't need to worry about that. Okay? In fact, more than once, the elders and their wives would have parties where they would all get drunk at the pastor's house and come to church the next morning hungover wearing sunglasses because the light bothered their eyes. Okay? And this happened all over the country where immorality just ran rampant. But nobody was supposed to say anything. No one is supposed to say anything because, hey, the doctrine of privacy says your sin is just between you and God and it doesn't affect anybody else. Is that true? No. Your sin has ripple effects not only on your relationship with God, but on your relationship with other people in your family, on your relationships with people you work with, on your relationships in the whole body of Christ. And there were all these convulsions all over the country as as people began to live out the implications of false teaching. And as you can imagine, the children who grew up in that environment, I'm one of the exceptions, by the way, of the children who grew up in those kinds of churches because I am still in church. Most of them could not reconcile the Scriptures with what they saw being lived out in their churches. And they said, if this is Christianity, I want no part of it. Because the destruction that was wrought in all those people's families and lives as a result was just unbelievable. That's just one guy and one false doctrine. And it destroyed thousands of people. Thousands of people. The fruit that was produced revealed the root that was possessed. And what the fruit revealed was a movement led by a false teacher. A man who looked like a sheep, but inside was a wolf. who was out to satisfy his own lusts and to teach his disciples to do the same thing. And God will judge properly, but the warning here is stern. Amen? Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And a false teacher will be eventually cut down and judged by the Lord. And false teaching is deadly. It will take your life. It will make you sick. And that's why the Apostle Paul underlines the same principle for us when he comes to choosing elders to lead the church. Remember this? First Timothy chapter five, he says, Do not be he says this to Timothy, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. 
lest you take part in the sins of others. In other words, lest you endorse this guy is and find out later that he is a wicked man who looks like a sheep but actually is a wolf. And he explains, he says, For the, son, the sins of some men are conspicuous, going ahead of them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. So in other words, give it time, Timothy, because truth will eventually come out. And whatever a man is will one day be revealed. You give it enough time, and you'll see the fruit of someone's life, either good or bad. And if it's good, obviously you can happily endorse the man as an elder. But if it's not, then you won't have stood up in front of somebody and said, this is a, this is a guy who is a spiritual leader, and then been embarrassed when you find out the reality, which is quite different than what he says with his mouth. And here's the thing, okay? This is the warning for us. Look at the fruit of somebody's life. If it's bad, there are three letters you need to obey. You ready? R-U-N. Run. Run as fast as you can the other way. If what he lives like doesn't line up with this, run as fast as you can. Same thing applies to women who are false teachers, by the way. There are some. You want to find out where they are? They're conveniently located for you on Christian TV. Fact. Okay? Some of those people that are on TBN or whatever, you know, CBN or whatever else it is, they are false teachers. They are. You need to run. You need to run. Not walk. Run from that. Because it will poison and kill off your relationship with God and it will bear bitter fruit in your life too. Amen? Now, let's move on here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now this is probably one of the toughest, sternest, strongest set of verses in the entire New Testament. Because it is warning us against profession without possession. In other words, of, what, of people who make a claim that they know Jesus who don't actually possess within them authentic faith regeneration, rebirth, new life in Christ. Amen? And in context, now understand uh, uh, something about your Bibles, okay? Those little subheadings within the chapter are not inspired. They're not originally there. They're just put there by the editors to denote change of topic. But it's the same topic. And the topic is false teachers. And what he's saying to them is this. 
that just because you have the ability to do some miraculous things, to cast out demons, to perform many wonders, to prophesy in the name of the Lord, just because you have the ability to do that doesn't necessarily mean that you authentically possess a relationship with God. Because there are all kinds of people who are false teachers who claim to have that ability. As they were in Jesus' day, so also today. They are there. They are out there. I had a guy, the only person I've ever physically thrown out of church. Came into my office a couple years ago and told me that we were all going to hell because we were not following him because he was the true prophet of God. Fact happened, okay? I don't know if he was off his medication or what, okay? But I told him that, in fact, we preach what the Bible says, what Jesus spoke to us, and what his apostles declared by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And if he was not in agreement with that, that he could leave and not let the door hit him where the good Lord had split him. Amen? Okay. And I escorted him out. Right? Because that guy, though he claims a whole lot of stuff, I don't think he possesses eternal life. And he will be one of those who says, who stands in the day of judgment before the Lord and says, didn't I do all this stuff for you? And God says, depart from me, I never knew you. All your works were not for me, they were for yourself and for the building up of a false flock apart from the kingdom of God. And you have no share in it. And in fact, the book of Revelation tells us that there will be all kinds of signs and wonders and so forth performed in the last days to deceive even the elect if that were possible. And they will not be inspired by God. They will not be empowered by God. They will be performed by the power of the evil one. And there are people today who claim to do all kinds of miracles. But if you do a little digging, in almost every case, what you will find is that the miracle they are most skilled in performing is separating gullible people from their money and living in immorality. In almost every case, that's the actual fact of it. Though they claim to know Jesus, Jesus tells them he does not claim them as his own. And how do you know? Because they're not obedient to the Father's will. That's the other test. What kind of fruit does it produce? And then, does the guy obey what the Scripture says? Jesus says, the one who keeps my commandments, he is the one who loves me. Amen? What does loving God look like? It looks like obedience to what God's Word says. Now this passage was originally written to warn us as people who are authentically sheep. 
of the twin dangers of false teachers and their false faith, uh, the combination of which leads a lot of people astray. And their ministry only seems to be about Jesus. And in reality, their, their ministry actually moves people further away from Jesus rather than closer to him. But if we have ears to hear, this passage also contains a more personal warning for us too. Because it is possible, in fact, I think it is likely, that a person can grow up in the church, can learn to speak in Christianese, can learn to do certain behaviors, and convince everybody, including themselves, that they authentically know Jesus. And then, as they go out, you know, they maybe grow to adulthood or whatever, and then they walk away from all that, and people go, what happened? I thought this person knew the Lord. And what happened is, is the fruit finally came out. And they, you, what you are seeing is the revealing of what the root of that person's life actually is. And if they're not obedient to Jesus, they're not a believer in Jesus. Amen? Not now, not then. They are not a believer in Jesus. They had a profession of faith without the possession of it. They need the gospel. There are four tests according to the scriptures. I know I'm running out of time, but I'll give you these because this is important. And this is my second to the last week before I will be gone for two months. So I'm going to take my opportunity while I have it. All right. There are four tests according to the scripture. How do you know if you're a believer? Here's one. The theological test. And this one is most important, so it's first. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead to give you new life? If so, then according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, you are a Christian. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with your mouth you can... You confess, oh, hang on, if you're, with your heart you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you confess and are saved, right? Theological test, you can, and there's one question, and you need to pass it, right? It's pass-fail. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead? The answer to that question is yes, and you have good evidence that you are a Christian, Okay, second test, the social test. Now, this is one a lot of people miss. They read their whole Bible and they miss this, but this is important. Do you love your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? This is one John jumps on repeatedly in 1 John. He says in 5.19-21 that love for your fellow believers is characteristic of those who truly know God. This is the, let me read the verses. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God must also love 
his brother. If you love the body of Christ and long to be with your brothers and sisters and to serve and worship with them, then you pass another one of the tests. You have good evidence that you are in fact a believer in Christ. Third one is the Spirit's witness test. Every true Christian possesses the Holy Spirit within them. Uh, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you possess the Spirit within you, then He is leading you and guiding you and empowering you. And so does He testify to your heart of your membership in God's family? If so, congratulations. You pass another test. But the last one is one the Scripture repeats over and over and over again, and it's the one that Jesus is underlining for us and putting in bold-faced print in this text right here. And it's this, this, this one. It's the obedience test. Are you growing in your obedience to God's Word? Jesus says, John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. He says here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And here's the bottom line. Authentic faith produces increasing obedience to the command and word of God. Inauthentic faith doesn't produce that. And if that's not happening in your life, there could be a good chance that you don't possess authentic faith. Amen? This is a scary word. And it's meant to be. Jesus' words are strong here. And we are meant to drink them straight. No ice. Okay? We are meant to swallow this down in one gulp and to say to ourselves... Am I a person who obeys Jesus in increasing measure? So that I can say with great confidence, yes, I know the Savior. Yes, my life is different than it was two months ago or two years ago or 20 years ago. My life has changed. I'm more obedient to the Lord than I have ever been. That is not true. If you are living one way with your life and professing another thing with your lips, your life reveals what's really there. Amen? We got through it. Let's pray and let's seek the Lord together. God, our Heavenly Father, this is a strong passage full of deep, hard-hitting truth. And it confronts us right where we live and says to us, are you a person whose life is producing good fruit? Are you a person who is in increasing measure obedient to the command of the Father? Father, that is what we want to be. That is why we are here in this place. This is not a church full of people who are weakly committed to following Christ. If they were, they would be somewhere else. And Father, I have confidence that these are Your people and that they love You. So Father, we call
call on You for Your grace and mercy. Because if we're honest, we know that we fail all the time to live up to Your command and to obey You. Father, we want to obey. And we pray for Your empowerment, Your enablement, Your encouragement, Your Holy Spirit to remind us of the Gospel by which we are saved. Christ crucified to save sinners and to raise us and raised up to give us new life in the here and now and in the hereafter forever. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.